Hello, hello. Welcome to the Drop the STEM podcast. If you want to get to know the world of machine learning, computer science, or robotics, Brandon is your person. Where should I start? He is the youngest contestant ever to take the Best Project Award at Canada Wide Science Fair. He also won first prize at the European Contest for Young Scientists for the project in which he developed an autonomous vehicle based on electric go-kart using neural networks and reinforcement learning. He spent his last summer at Snow Lab, where he applied deep learning to dark matter detection. He used machine learning to build an algorithm that improves particle classification. And guess what? He is also an ISAF alumni 2019. With the project, he won China Association for Science and Technologies Award. He also won second award in the category of physics and astronomy. And also the National Security Agency Research Directorate's honorable mention in mathematics. Now, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here, Brendan. Thanks so much for having me. So let's dive deep in and start by discussing dark matter. What propelled you to begin investigating that particular subject? So dark matter is a really interesting problem. I've always been fascinated by astrophysics and the quest to figure out what the universe is made of. And dark matter is particularly interesting. So scientists suspect that eighty-five、uh, percent of the matter in the universe is dark matter, which is so far undetected. And the reason for this is because galaxies spin too quickly, as in the outer edges of the galaxy go too fast in order to be held in by the gravity of the matter that we can see. So physicists think that. There is extra dark matter, which has extra mass and holds this this matter in, and there are experiments being developed to try and detect this. And I've always found this a super interesting field of investigation. And、um, when I started to see some potential applications for machine learning, which is my personal field of experience, I was really excited and and hoped that I could maybe contribute something to this field. If I understood correctly, developing a detector for dark matter can be demanding. Like there are、yes. conventional classifiers to separate dark matter, but they present significant disadvantages. How did you plan to overcome those in your project? Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. So, one of the key problems in dark matter experiments is that it can, it can be difficult to distinguish between actual dark matter and background radiation, which is always present. And background radiation would be stuff like alpha particles, neutrons.、Um, they can come from radioactive sources. So just other kinds of particles that are not dark matter that these detectors can mistake for dark matter. So people have to develop what are referred to as classifiers to to find out what's actually dark matter and what isn't. But conventionally, people do this based on essentially manual trial and error, which is unfortunately not always a great approach because. You can think of it as trying to develop a、um, a system to recognize numbers or letters based on manual programming. It's just it can often be brittle and will not work as well as it could work. So what I've done in this project is applied machine learning in some new ways to automatically develop these classifiers based on existing data, and then ultimately produce better accuracy than what's currently used. Or those conventional classifiers do not often give the best performance and results, and I guess it takes like substantial time and effort to generalize data, or they are not correct all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, can you 
expand on the PICO and D experiments you've conducted at Snow Lab? Yeah, so, so actually the PICO and DEEP experiments are two dark matter experiments that were developed over the last few years. I, well, I wasn't involved in the initial development of these experiments, uh, but now I'm working to Im improve the efficiency of a future experiments like this. So PICO and DEEP are uh, two, two of, the, of the many different dark matter experiments that are running right now. PICO is what's called a bubble chamber, which is a detector that works by um, taking advantage of a superheated liquid, which is extremely sensitive to small disturbances. It'll start boiling if it's disturbed. And it uses a single particle interaction to start this boiling process. And this disturbance can be as small as a single dark matter particle interacting with atoms in the detector. Now, the deep detector is what's called a scintillator, which detects light uh, or small amounts of photons that are emitted from particle interactions. What happens is that an interaction occurs, an electron is excited, and then as the electron decays back to its ground state, then it emits photons and these can be detected. And to those detectors, how did you apply the general deep learning system? How did it work in your experiments? So what I did is I took past data from these experiments that had been collected. In the case of the deep experiment, I actually used simulated data as it wasn't really practical to collect lots of real-world data. But in any case, I took this data and then I developed... Well, I started off by using essentially standard machine learning approaches, but I found that they had some limitations. They were limited by factors including impurities in the data and extremely random and chaotic physical processes in the detector. And ultimately, I ended up developing new machine learning methods that could train despite these issues with the data and ultimately produce something that performed better. Yeah, so eventually, with your methods, accuracy increased significantly. Yeah, so in, uh, in Pico 60, I actually managed to improve the accuracy from 80.2% in a previous machine learning study to 98.3%. Uh, and in deep, I managed to actually beat the performance of the conventional classifier, uh, where I reduced the rate of false positives from false positives being uh, dark matter particles that are predicted as background. I reduced the rate of those false positives from 91% to about 76%. That sounds really exciting and also impressive. <laughs> Do you remember you. the moment when you discovered um, your findings or how did it work? Oh, yeah, it was a, um, well, throughout this, the summer of 2018, I, I worked almost full-time on this. I, I spent a lot of time on this, and I found it actually very difficult because it was, it was a d difficult process because really at the beginning, I didn't have a strong idea of what would work and what wouldn't. I was kind of searching around in the dark as machine learning in the context of these dark matter experiments either wasn't explored in the past or was explored in very limited ways in the past. So I was more or less on my own in trying to figure this out. And I spent actually like the first few months without any major successes. And then towards the fall, I kind of, you know, I found out that the ideas that I had come up with over the course of the summer actually worked. And, and that was a really exciting period. So that was your breakthrough moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it was a single moment, but kind of a gradual period in which I figured out um, how well this stuff actually worked. And also one of your findings were that 
that conventional CNNs are intended only for flat rectangular images, and now I'm not talking about the TV channel, but you're going to expand on that. So how did you solve the presented problem? Yeah, so one of the problems um, that was inherent in the data from the DEEP experiment is that the data is actually an image, but it's a spherical image because the detector is physically spherical and you have light sensors on the outside of the detector, but the issue is that these will absorb photons and then you have an image, but it's in the form of a ball. So uh, in, in machine learning, what we mainly use to process images are called convolutional neural networks. And these, these are like a modification of standard neural networks that work better on images because they form associations between pixels that are physically close together. However, these are generally, since, since most images that we deal with, like coming from cameras or what have you, are generally flat and made of square pixels, these don't really work for the kind of curved images that I got from this detector. So I actually had to develop some new methods based on, well, one was based on something that was kind of like a map projection uh, in order to, to form the sphere into a flat image. And then next I actually tried to develop a new kind of CNN, or uh, CNN stands for Convolutional Neural Network, that would work directly on this curved image. So you could predict the nuclear decay from an alpha particle. Is it also connected with that part, or it's separate from that uh, aspect uh, yes. of the field? So actually... Those were the main methods that I used in the DEEP experiment and that I ultimately found to perform better than the conventional classifiers. I see. And what is the hope with your findings in regards to possible future applications? Good question. So my, um, my methods that I used for the PICO experiment, um, so I worked with data from the PICO 60 experiment. Um, the next iteration of the PICO experiment is called PICO 40L. Uh, that went underground in December, and it's currently collecting data. So uh, it's it's actually not quite confirmed yet, but but my methods are being actively looked at for application as as one of the main tools for classification in the context of uh, Pico 40L, which is really exciting. That's amazing. So that represents the next step in your project. Yes. Yes, for sure. And talking about uh, Pico 40L, I get a mention that you participated in, in the International Summer School for Young Physicists. So you got to see it under construction, right? Uh, so actually, I uh, did not participate in the International Summer School for Young Physicists, but they, they came up to Sudbury, uh, where I live, and also where Snow Lab is located, and they toured there. And... Unfortunately, I didn't get to go underground, but I got to take part in some of the uh, fascinating physics lectures that they were um, that they were doing for that program. So that was exciting. You you couldn't go underground because of the age limit they had yeah. there. Yeah, you have to be at least sixteen at minimum. Well, you're not far from getting underground. <laughs> yeah. That's real cool. And I know that you, you you've been working on machine learning projects since two thousand sixteen. How did those findings, research experiences, or skills contribute to your current work? Yeah, so I think that's actually super important. I, um, in this project, I was exploring data in a field where, in a lot of senses, machine learning had not really been used to uh, a wide extent before. So having the past experience of developing previous projects, including my last one, which, in which I actually developed a self-driving car, uh, pretty much from the ground up, really taught me so much about how to put together machine learning systems and 
sometimes in unusual ways uh, in which machine learning is not so commonly used, like some of the methods that I used for uh, my work on dark matter detection. So I really think this, this taught me a great deal. And if it weren't for those past few years of experience, I wouldn't have been able to come up with the new kinds of machine learning methods that I managed to uh, successfully apply and uh, develop some more effective classifiers in these dark matter experiments. So talking about past projects, at uses you won first prize with your um, autonomous vehicle. Could you share how some of the techniques do not use human collected training data? Yeah, so, so a self-driving car is an interesting challenge because it can be quite difficult um, and expensive to collect data by having humans drive around in all kinds of different roads repeatedly. So one of the interesting applications uh, in the field of autonomous driving involves reinforcement learning. So reinforcement learning is, if you've heard of AlphaGo or of any of these other similar projects in which machine learning is used to learn to play a game without, well, I should say Alpha Zero, which is um, which learned completely without any human input. Um, and these systems can learn without being told how to play just by playing against itself. So in my project, I experimented with something similar in self-driving cars in which I used a simulated environment to ensure that the process was completely safe. And then I allowed the vehicle to drive around a track over and over completely on its own and gradually optimize its own system to make sure that it stays closest to the center of the track and drives in uh, in the best way possible. And if I know it correctly, it can also detect vehicles ahead of it or recognize and stop for signs, which is like a new add-on. Yes. I use a sensor referred to as LiDAR for detecting vehicles ahead. And uh, my soft sign recognition, I used uh, convolutional neural networks for vision. That's amazing. And uh, talking Thank about you. networks, you've also implemented that aspect of the machine learning project into your next endeavor with which you participated at ICEF this year. Yeah. So could you share some of your most memorable moments at the competitions you attended? We can talk about ICEF, USIS, or Canada Fair. You know, ICEF, ICEF and USIS uh, and the Canada Fair as well were amazing experiences. And I would really say the best part was just getting to meet everyone from around the world. You know, the, the competitive aspect is great, but the competition lasts only for a week, whereas all, all of the friends and new people that you meet at these competitions, you stay connected with uh, for long after the competition is over. And, and there's so much value in meeting people from all around the world with different perspectives and different experiences than you. And I, I'd really say, I think that's the most valuable thing I've gotten out of science fairs so far. That's so true, just connecting with others and being exposed in that, we can say that, IQ dance environment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, talking about science fairs, there is going to be a section uh, which is called Getting to Know the Person Beyond the Project Board. So we're going to move a little bit south from snowy Sudbury to sunny San Jose. Yeah. If I were to say it faster, that could easily be a tongue twister. Um, but yeah. tell us about the GPU Technology Conference you attended in March. Yes, yeah, so, so the GPU Technology Conference was awesome. It was um, I applied there in about November, 
I applied to present my work on dark matter detection at um, the NVIDIA GPU tech conference. And I was extremely excited when I found out that I was actually accepted for that. And uh, so in March, I got to travel down to San Jose and present my work there. So that was an amazing experience. Not only, uh, you know, presenting my work and meeting all, it was a very different group uh, from from the kinds of people that will be at that, that will visit science fairs because there there was a much greater density of you know Silicon Valley people in the, in the industry, which is really what I want to go into long term. So it was absolutely awesome to get to meet all these people from Nvidia and Google and all kinds of other companies and learn about the stuff that they're working on firsthand. Moreover, their location choice is on point too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Silicon Valley is an awesome place. There were over like 600 sessions, you know, discussing many hot topics. Which one would you highlight? Oh, that's difficult. I would say one of my favorites, I don't think I can pin it down to a single one. Uh, I went to a number of sessions and they were all super interesting. I went to one on uh, generative adversarial networks, which is a super interesting new field. It's being used for all kinds of applications, like improving security um, in terms of like detecting. One application that I've seen was in uh, detecting forgeries of voice prints. So finding out when it's someone's actual voice and when it's it's generated to, it's audio that's generated to sound like someone's voice. Um, and there's a really incredible applications of generative adversarial networks that are being used in industry and in research right now. So I went to a session and learned a bit more about how they work. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that and uh, learned a lot. That must have been an amazing opportunity to to be there amongst the innovators. Um, Absolutely. Of which you were a part of because you also communicated your project. And in connection with that, I saw, because we've attended competitions together, several projects and uh, posters of yours. So I can tell that they're very precise, detail-oriented, but graphically well put together and eye-catching. And you know the Thank you. <laughs> uh, sure, that's the truth. And the outlook of the poster or like the visual representation of your work is always a key factor that has to be taken into consideration. So if yeah, for sure. if someone is entering a competition next year or this year, what are some of the golden rules you think that one should follow or that have undoubtedly worked for you? Well, I would say one of the key factors is, you know, in science and even in engineering, nothing works the first time, right? You, you never come up with an idea and then put it together and have it immediately work. It always involves a lot of trial and error and having things not work uh, and failures. And this is just part of how things work. So I would say that communicating that in your poster and in the rest of your display, including binders and any other documentation you may have, is really key. In all of my recent projects, I've included binders of raw data that I've collected just over all of the runs of experimentation that I've gone through, which can be quite repetitive and monotonous, but I think it's really key to communicate that there, 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 there was a level of, um, I suppose, scientific rigor to your work in that you didn't just test one thing and have it work, but rather that you went through the experimental process. Yes, absolutely. You got to show all of your data because a negative result is also a result too and that's still yes. part of your project. Absolutely. Yes, and 
also it's just so um, crucial because a lot of people tell a don't judge a book by its cover, but by dropping the truth, you're going to be judged by your poster or by the visual representation in the first round. So it's key. Oh, yeah. So sure. you have it all together. And uh, speaking of this past year, it has been quite eventful for you. So throughout this one yes. year, you had the opportunity to present your project in numerous platforms, Snow Labs Dark Matter Days event at the Canadian Institute of Mining, Alsace Cafe Science North, and Vector Institute. What are some of the lessons you took from those experiences? Yeah, so I, I've learned a lot over the past year about how to present to different audiences because you know, not everyone is the same. You're not going to give the same presentation to judges at a science fair as you are to, you know, the public when I'm trying to advocate for science uh, or science fair or science education uh, to the public. So, so I've learned a lot about knowing your audience and giving the presentation that's most relevant to them. Mm. So you got to kind of sort out your target for this specific yes. event. Okay. Yes, certainly. That's an awesome so, tip. So yeah, I've really been blessed to have the chance to, to present to the public as well as to, you know, physics experts and machine learning experts, and it, it's been really, really good. Yes, and just what you mentioned, that science is about collaboration and exchanging ideas, and in your case, you interacted with some extremely accomplished scientists. What was your encounter like with the two Nobel laureates and an astronaut? Yeah, so, so that was... Um, that was incredible. I, I was honored to be invited by the Canadian government to go and visit a um, the NSERC Awards, which is a, in which um, the government gives out uh, recognition and funding to a number of, of brilliant scientists that are doing incredible work in Canada. So I got to uh, observe that event, uh, which was awesome. And I, I got to meet, um, actually, interestingly, the, the two... Uh, dark matter detectors, uh, Pico and Deep, from which I'm using the data, are located at Snow Lab, which is a dark matter observatory. And I got the chance to meet Dr. Arthur McDonald, who is a, he's a Nobel laureate, and he actually created Snow Lab. So it was pretty awesome to be able to meet him. Wow, so you met the, the founder, yes. father of, <laughs> yeah. of Snow Lab. That's amazing. It must have been like a fairly intriguing conversation. Absolutely, yeah. He had so much insight to provide. You've also met with John Charles Polanyi. In Hungarian, it's Polanyi Janos. Yes, so, so, so yeah, that was part of the same event. And it was, um, yeah, it was fantastic to be able to meet with, uh, with both of them. Yeah, I just mentioned him because he is a Hungarian-Canadian chemist. Oh, so, yes, okay, that's awesome. I realized that, but that's that's really cool. I've um, read about him a bit, and during World War II, that was the time when he was 11, and he, his father sent him to Canada to be safe from the German bombings, Europe experience yeah. at the time. So it's real cool that you got to meet with both of those very accomplished scientists. Yes. And you also started a podcast called Shattered Gradients. What matters do you discuss there? Yeah, so, so Shattered Gradients, that's uh, a collaboration between uh, myself and Anish Sangani, who was uh, an ISAF finalist this year. And he also actually presented at the NVIDIA GPU Tech Conference as well. Uh, so on that podcast, we've lately, um, well, yeah, we recently started it, and we've been talking about machine learning and applications of it in 
research and industry, and we've had the chance to interview some very cool people. It's such an active way to communicate your project and to raise awareness or just draw people in, in into the world of machine learning. Yeah, for sure. I've um, it's my first experience podcasting. It's been a lot of fun. I you enjoy I really it? enjoy. Well, yeah, it's a lot like meeting people at a science fair and learning about their projects, but but then getting to um, to share that insight from whoever you're interviewing with uh, with anyone who's interested in the podcast. So so yeah, absolutely, I completely agree with that. Like the conversations or the exchanges, which can go into late nights, can be like a podcast, and that's yeah. also important me to record them and to share it with others. So. I, I completely agree. In terms of future aspirations, what is your ultimate dream in life? So I think long term, well, I want to go to Silicon Valley, of course. Um, and I would love to, I'm not exactly sure yet. I love the idea of starting my own company at some point. I think machine learning is, I, I may change my mind, but machine learning is at the moment the field that I find most interesting. So so I'm certainly interested in the idea of, of long term doing some doing industry research in machine learning and uh, you know machine learning is being used to solve or be being applied in efforts to solve some of the world's most significant problems and uh, in medicine and you know in astrophysics I guess not not referring to what I'm doing but it's being used for for exoplanet uh, detection and all these kinds of important problems in science and in uh, ultimately improving people's lives. So, so that, that's, that's really the field I want to go into because of its potential for impact. Sounds cool. Absolutely. It has such a broad range of applications. So you would choose your future major based on that interest of yours? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd, um, I'm planning on going into uh, either computer science or uh, engineering. That's amazing. And who are you mostly inspired by in your scientific endeavors? Who do you look up to? Oh, that's an interesting question. I'm inspired by, um, in the world of physics, I have always been inspired by Brian Greene, who is a, uh, he's a physicist. He uh, was one of the leading researchers in string theory. And in addition to that, he's an amazing uh, science communicator. And he, he makes some incredible, well, he's written books and made um, TV programs that I think do a great job of communicating developments in physics to the public. And I, I really strongly respect that, and I'm inspired by that. In machine learning, I would say it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, here in Canada, we have many of the leading researchers, uh, I guess the pioneers of machine learning, were actually Canadian, including Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, who is a amazing guy, recipient of the Turing Award recently. He actually started the Vector Institute, which I had the chance to visit a while ago. Oh. And, and I'm really inspired by these brilliant uh, Canadians who are doing some incredible work in AI and machine learning. So if you were to organize a dinner, you would make sure uh, <laughs> to invite those people. <laughs> yes, for sure. That's amazing. And we were talking about scientists and accomplished people, but I'm interested. If you had to list the most important characteristic of a scientist, what would um, that be in your opinion? I would say perseverance. You know, when something doesn't work, mm -hmm. rather, than, rather than becoming frustrated and giving up, to just keep trying and try different things and keep working against the odds. Because a lot of 
developments come from completely unexpected places where you know a lot of people had given up on. For instance, the AI winter was a long period in which people stopped doing AI research uh, largely, and there there were a few people who kept on working on it, and uh, some of the results have become. I guess the bedrock of neural networks and the machine learning algorithms that we use today, and that was thanks to people continuing to to work on a field that most other people thought was hopeless. You've traveled to Ireland, Arizona, California in the past one year. What places in the world are still on your bucket list? Oh, that's a uh, that's a good question. I would certainly i I have never yet been. Uh, to anywhere in Asia, and I would really absolutely love to travel around there. I'd like to go to China, Japan, Korea, Singapore. There's so many cool places that are very different from anywhere I've been so far, and I really love the idea of exploring that part of the world. Yes, and also I know that you've learned a bit of Chinese, so you could perhaps use it in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't speak it very well, but I, uh, um, yeah, certainly in my plans to to. To learn to speak Mandarin, extremely fascinating, and the cool thing is that the grammar is not so hard, so there is no conjugation yeah. or something. In your future adventures, you could use Chinese for your benefit for yes. sure. And what are your plans for the summertime? This summer, I'm actually really excited to be starting to do some research with researchers at the Vector Institute. So, at the Vector Institute, they're doing some fascinating research in reinforcement learning, and one of the fields that is being explored is that of reinforcement learning without rewards. So, so the way that reinforcement learning commonly works is if you imagine playing a game, uh, and then you receive reward when uh, you, the model receives reward when it gets points in the game or, or completes a, a goal or something, and then by doing that, it learns to optimize the rewards and, and increase the the number of goals that it succeeds at. However, In many different kinds of challenges, it can be difficult to assign rewards, or, or rewards are very rare, or or they're not very useful for training. So, what I'm going to be working on is related to reward-free reinforcement learning. So, learning by exploration—that mm -hmm. is, like learning to explore a game world, or not necessarily a game world, can be a real world too. Although we're we're using largely games in the context of development, but they have many applications in real-world robotics and, uh, and such. So reinforcement learning by exploration will involve learning to discover new parts of a game world that have not yet been explored and using that to learn how to play the game rather than using any points or, or other kinds of metrics that are assigned by the game. Wow, that sounds super interesting. So it's more like a higher level of learning in terms of using past patterns to apply it in the exploration. Is it correct? Uh, yeah, that, that would be a way to think about it. Like learning, learning how to navigate within the game world and then trying to use those skills to explore, uh, to explore new places or to, to do new things. Hmm. That's just so cool. And then you're gonna um, not stopping the grind in the summer too. No, no, I'm gonna keep going, and I'm actually planning to do science fair again next year. Oh, really? So the yeah, Canadian just, one, and then um, onto the. I'm going to apply to. I, I'm planning. Well, it's too early to say exactly, but I'm planning on applying to ISAF again. And. Uh, 
Oh, that's so I cool. Guess that, would, that would be the dream, but I, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's too far out to say. Yes, but I'm sure you will get in. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I have a positive outlook for you. Um, it's so cool that you can attend again and and get the ISAF experience. For the end, I prepared some quick this or that questions. So okay. you gotta choose either one. Okay. So okay. the first one. Early bird or night owl? I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I wouldn't really identify with either one. Okay, so you go with the median. <laughs> Honey or maple syrup? Maple syrup. I'm Canadian, so I have to pick maple syrup. Yeah, uh, I thought there was like a 99.9% .9 chance of you saying maple syrup. Comedy or thriller? Comedy. Sweet or spicy? Spicy. Which level of spicy? Uh, very high. Okay. I put sriracha and Tabasco sauce on everything. Wow. You you like the burn. <laughs> yes. Mountains or beach? Mountains. I love mountain climbing. Oh, really? So that's yeah. one of your hobby of yours? Well, we don't really have mountains around here, but we have lots of rocky cliffs and stuff, and I love uh, hiking and climbing in my spare time. That's amazing. In yeah. Arizona, we, we went hiking in the desert, and that was a lot of fun. Oh, which desert did you visit? Uh, ju just outside Phoenix. Oh, like uh, the Sonoran? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we climbed a big hill. Yeah, I think it's close to the Botanical Garden. Yeah. That's the one. That sounds about right. My time in Phoenix, I've tried out the Sonoran burger, and that was also oh. great. <laughs> yeah. And to wrap up, um, there's a question I ask every guest. What does science mean to you? I guess if there's a single thing that I have the most fun doing, it would be science. It's just so important to me. I've been doing science fair for four years. I'm, I'm actually starting to get into some some actual research now. And I just, it gives me so much motivation. I Before I started doing uh, scientific investigations, I, I would find that, you know, I would find sometimes I was bored and wasn't really sure how to spend my time. But now I just pretty much spend all the time I can working on whatever research project I'm currently involved in. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge part of my life now, and I really, really enjoy it. Mm. That's the most important thing, because if you choose something which is your hobby as your future profession, there is a quote that you're never going to work again in your life, meaning that, of course, well, <laughs> there will yeah. be hardships and challenges, but oh, yeah. um, you have that inner drive that keeps you going and well. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Figuratively speaking, climbing mountains and then reaching the top. <laughs> well, I think it just wrapped it up beautifully. And thank you for being here. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for inviting me. This was a really enjoyable interview. And I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I also encourage the listeners, um, after listening to this podcast, to tune in to The Shattered Gradients. Is it available on <laughs> Apple? Uh, yeah, we have it on, um, yeah, we have it on Apple Podcasts and on Google Play. So yeah, so hit that play button and well, congratulations on your achievements and I wish you all the best for your future adventures and endeavors. Thank you so much and you as well. I hope you, uh, I hope you find some good guests in the future. I know in the, previously you interviewed uh, Krithik Ramesh and Brian Wu and both of them are brilliant. Um, so and they have a lot of insight to give so I'm sure everyone would really enjoy listening to those two interviews. Yes, absolutely. Shout out to them. They're also ISAF alumni. So the group is, is I don't know, widening and there's going to be more members yeah. in the future. 
You can find us on Instagram at Drop the Stamp Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure to stay tuned for the next one.